Hello and welcome to the Sheffield Institute for International Development podcast. I'm Lucia Robertson. Today I'm joined by Sanjay Lanka. Hello Sanjay, how are you? I'm doing good, Lucia. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'd like to discuss your work in social and environmental accounting with regards particularly to the effectiveness of the fair trade minimum price as a valuation device. Can you explain agroecological farming and what's its role in improving the living standards of smallholder coffee farmers in India? Sure. Um, so agroecological farming, as it says, is about agriculture and ecology. So that's the idea of agroecology. And what it was uh, born out of was a period in the 1960s and 70s when uh, this type of agriculture, which we now refer to as conventional farming, but it's anything but conventional in the sense that it was actually introduced after World War II. So what it involved was the introduction of uh, chemicals, which had been used during the war for uh, basically for warfare. And so the companies that made these chemicals during World War II needed to find a new market for them. So there was uh, an attempt made to innovate their use into agriculture. So essentially what we're seeing, and this hasn't even been 100 years now, but uh, from about the period of the 1940s and 50s, we're seeing a change, a fundamental change in how we do agriculture. So agroecological farming is an attempt to go back to the way we did agriculture before. Because there have been a lot of ecological as well as social impacts because these chemicals are not free. They're owned by companies which sell them to farmers and farmers have gone into debt. Uh, in the case of India, because they've gone into debt, they've had to commit uh, suicide even because you know the cost of farming has increased so much that it's not able to provide a livelihood to the farmers. Therefore, agroecological farming is a type of farming where the farmers use what we call the ecosystem services that nature used to provide before the introduction of chemical farming. So it's a method to go back to that type of farming. And secondly, it also means that we actually uh, appreciate nature. And rather than treating nature as an object to exploit, the farmers actually depend on it. So it's, a, it's kind of a, a relationship that's symbiotic. With regards to fair trade, where does this fit in with agroecological farming? Okay. Is it a contrast? Um, well, the fair trade movement, again, because we've talked about industrial agriculture, as and how agroecology and agroecological farming is a response to this industrial agriculture. Now, another aspect of industrial agriculture is that when farmers produce the crops that they grow, those crops become commodities. And those commodities are traded in the international market and what has been found is since, uh, well, quite some time now, the what we call the supply chain, which is the process by which these commodities reach us, the end consumers, who actually, let's say if it's coffee. So the coffee farmers grow the coffee, and then when it goes through the process of export from the coffee-grown countries to, let's say, the UK, where we drink our coffee, in that process, the evidence has been that within what we call uh, the supply chains, which are controlled by large corporations, the farmers are actually not getting uh, a good return on all of the effort that they put in. So fair trade was a movement that was started for the purpose of actually uh, improving the value share that farmers get in this process. So the connection to fair trade and agroecological farming is that so when fair trade as a you could say as an eco-labeling initiative was introduced, the idea was not only to improve the livelihoods of the farmers, 
but one of Fairtrade's goals was also to improve the, uh, the environment. So to introduce farming practices, which would be more uh, sustainable to the environment. So this is where I think agroecological farming uh, becomes one of the solutions that could be used within the fair trade system. You mentioned value. Can you define value? What is fair value, for example? And um, what is use value and exchange value? And what's the relationship between the two? Sure. Uh, in my research, when I talk about value, what I'm referring to is uh, value in terms of the labor and the effort that is invested not only by the farmers. When I say farmers, I also mean the whole family of the farmer. Because usually the farmers that I'm working with and most of the farmers whose coffee we drink and uh, are smallholder farmers. That means they are farmers growing uh, coffee on a very small piece of land. So they're people who usually don't have the resources to pay for workers and things like that. So it's usually the whole household. So the children, the, the husband and wife within the family spending all of their time that they can growing coffee. And so to me, all of that effort that they put in, so the hours of work that they put in through every step of this process of growing coffee is the amount of value that they invest in producing coffee. So that's one aspect of value. The other aspect of value is the what we call the use value and the exchange value. So use value to me is now these farmers who grow coffee, instead of growing coffee, because you can only drink so much coffee, right? So on a area of about one acre, let's say, these farmers are producing a lot more coffee than they need for their own consumption. Now the portion of the coffee that they grow, that they would consume for themselves, is to me what I call the use value. Now, instead of growing coffee, they could be growing fruits and vegetables, for example, which would uh, fulfill their own needs for hunger and their own sustenance. And in that case, for those farmers, that type of food would be use values. So it's something of use to yourself. Now, because they're growing coffee instead, it's something that then they cannot use all of that coffee. So what it becomes is a form of exchange. So they produce so much coffee, they have to go find a market for it, they sell it to someone, and they need to get some money in exchange so that then they can buy the other things that they need. So to me, that process where the coffee that they grow has to be sold on the marketplace is an exchange value. Within industrial agriculture, what's happened is we used to have farming which used to be more about producing the use values and farmers would be able to sustain themselves because they would grow all the different crops that they would need first so they wouldn't go hungry necessarily and then uh, you would have whatever their surplus is what they then exchange. Now the transition that's happened is we have farmers who have been motivated to just grow these cash crops which is crops which they cannot eat but they have to sell on the market so it's only exchange values that they're producing and they're dependent on the marketplace to then earn money to be able to buy the things that they need to have a sustainable livelihood. So is this oversupply of coffee pretty much detrimental? Well, it is, because what we have is periods of time when, again, it's very much dependent on the weather. For example, right now we're going through a cycle where the uh, coffee harvests around the world for the main coffee, uh, there's two types of coffee, Arabica and Robusta. So the Arabica coffee uh, prices are pretty low right now because which indicates that there's an oversupply of coffee. And this is, coffee is a crop that has 
one harvest a year. And it depends on uh, a few things, of course, Brazil being the largest producer of coffee, uh, the amount of coffee that's produced in Brazil then impacts on the price of coffee around the world. So if there's too much production in Brazil, oversupply happens, and when there's oversupply, obviously the international uh, price of coffee goes down. So um, farmers in India are affected by national and international markets? Essentially, yeah. Uh, and it's mostly the international market because India is one of, you could say, the top maybe 10 or 15 producers, but it doesn't produce enough coffee to actually impact the international market. Can you explain what the fair trade minimum price is and its relation to sustainable living for coffee farmers in India? So fair trade, when it was set up, it was set up as an ethical initiative, an ethical way of doing business. So the idea is that uh, companies who carry the fair trade label, when they buy uh, coffee from, let's say, coffee farmers, the price that's given to the coffee farmers is supposed to be a minimum price which is going to cover their cost of production. So that's the idea that this price, the fair trade minimum price in principle, should be a price at which uh, the coffee farmers sell their coffee and that price is assumed to be enough to cover not only their costs of growing the coffee, but also to provide their families a sustainable livelihood, you know, a comfortable living, enough food to eat, be able to send their children to school, so on and so forth. Is this fair trade minimum price enabling people to have sustainable living? Is it covering everything? Okay, so uh, part of what I've uh, found in my research is that the fair trade minimum price is a price that's calculated at the level of a farmer household. And unfortunately, the way the fair trade system works within coffee is that fair trade actually doesn't buy coffee from a household because uh, fair trade requires that farmers need to be part of a cooperative of farmers. And so a cooperative is a grouping of farmers who share the costs of processing that coffee into a form that's ready for export. So there's lots of costs which are involved in this processing of coffee for export. And unfortunately, currently the fair trade system does not acknowledge and therefore does not pay for those costs of conversion. All it's doing is therefore it's assuming a certain cost only up to the point where the farmer grows the coffee on their farm and it completely ignores all of the costs which are involved for the farmers to then pick up that coffee from their farms, bring it to a central processing facility, process it, do quality control, do quite a few steps of processing uh, to be able to get it to a state where the international coffee industry will be willing to buy it. So my criticism of fair trade has been that uh, fair trade uh, is a good idea in principle, and I think there's an opportunity to really work with fair trade, but fair trade needs to kind of acknowledge the reality of the way uh, coffee is actually processed, and it really needs to include these costs of processing the coffee that are Currently, these costs are borne by the cooperative of farmers. So these costs are shared by a group of farmers. And so it's not difficult to go to a, a cooperative farmers and determine what those costs are and then figure out a way that fair trade can also uh, pay those costs. Right now, fair trade doesn't cover those costs. So when a cooperative ends up having to cover all of these costs, what it does is it reduces the income of all of the members equally. And that's why a cooperative is different from a corporation because a corporation could have a few people who are wealthier who might own a bigger share of a corporation. 
Whereas a cooperative, by its definition, is one person, one vote, one person, one share. So every member of the cooperative gets an equal share. It doesn't matter who they are. And therefore, uh, the fair trade system within coffee right now is equally discriminatory towards all of them. So would you say the fair trade movement isn't really viable? Well, the fair trade movement is still making a difference because what the fair trade minimum price provides is a better price sometimes. And this is only when there is a crash in the coffee prices. So it's during those times, and this could be a cycle that happens maybe every three to five years, the fair trade actually does provide a better price. Now, it's not a price that's sustainable. And some people have even argued that in a way the fair trade minimum price is sort of messing with the market in the sense that if prices crash, then in principle what should happen is the oversupply of coffee that's on the market. So these coffee producers who don't need to be growing coffee should shift to something else. But by providing this minimum price, in a way, uh, there's a criticism that fair trade could be kind of perpetuating these these farmers in these livelihoods of growing coffee when maybe in reality they shouldn't be. On the whole, would you say fair trade offers a better alternative to the free market, even though there are so many like pitfalls? Yeah, I mean, definitely fair trade in principle works. Now, the current issues within fair trade are strictly because of the way fair trade has evolved. When fair trade started, it was still a very good idea because what it was is involved mostly church groups that would go down to developing countries and they would buy the coffee and then they would sell that coffee directly among the members of the church. So what was going on within the original fair trade movement was there were not a lot of intermediaries and therefore a a significantly high percentage of the value was going to the coffee farmers. In the current form, what has happened is fair trade has become mainstream And by becoming mainstream, fair trade has given certification to the conventional supply chains of companies. So the problems that we find in mainstream uh, business enterprises have percolated into the fair trade system. So in its ambition to grow as a movement, what has happened is that fair trade has ended up diluting its ideas of equality and ethical practices. Would you say now that fair trade focuses more on providing profit to corporations at the expense of the livelihoods of the smallholder farmers? I think that fair trade right now, its focus seems to be on growing the its share within the marketplace. Because what has happened is fair trade is only one among other brands of uh, what we call eco-labeling initiatives. So if you look at the UK market, for example, and if you want to go buy some coffee, you can have fair trade coffee. And then you also have another label called Rainforest Alliance, for example. So in this kind of marketplace where there are multiple eco-labeling initiatives, what has become the driving force of fair trade is to sort of increase its market share uh, and be the dominant force within eco-labeling initiatives. So rather than be thinking about its original purpose, which is to provide sustainable livelihoods to smallholder farmers, uh, it it's it seems to be that at the level of uh, you know the consumer, uh, the idea seems to be to grow the number of people who are buying fair trade products, and the research that I've done with fair trade also shows that uh, a lot of the money that's collected through fair trade in the UK, for example, 
a significant portion, over 70%, is actually spent on marketing the Fairtrade brand rather than using that money uh, back in the countries where these uh, products are produced to improve the lives of the people. Now, I can understand Fairtrade's argument because they believe that it's only by growing the market for Fairtrade can more product be sold as Fairtrade. But the reality is that Fairtrade only often buys 30% of the coffee that's grown by a cooperative. So what they've basically done is they've created a very uh, broad kind of business for themselves where they have a lot of supply because they're able to choose only 30% from the average cooperative. And then they have these customers in, in countries like the UK who are happy to carry that label because it has a very positive uh, image within the minds of the consumers. So in a sense, fair trade is perpetuating poverty. I wouldn't say it's perpetuating poverty, but it is uh, not doing all that it could do. There's room for improvement. Fair trade has another aspect to it, which is the fair trade minimum price. And there's also what we call the fair trade premium. So the premium is a significant amount of money. So for a cooperative that sells, let's say, you know, tons and tons of coffee, that becomes a significant amount of money that is coming to the cooperative to be able to invest in things like building schools for the children within the cooperative. Uh, so Fairtrade has actually made a difference. So I would say, I wouldn't say that, you know, the world is better off without Fairtrade. I would say that we need Fairtrade to do more and we need Fairtrade to kind of go back to its mission statement and its original purpose for which it was created. Uh, my concern is that fair trade has kind of diluted its its mission by trying to be more of a business success, and in doing so, it has kind of diluted its its social and environmental goals. I'd like to know who is actually holding these eco labeling initiatives to account on behalf of the farmers. Well, that's a good question because the challenge has been that rather than holding the eco labeling initiatives to account. The fair trade accounting and accountability system has been holding the farmers to account. Okay. And that's the problem. So actually, they're charging the farmers to be certified fair trade. They're charging the farmers to have accounting systems and complex systems of bookkeeping and, and accountability for which they have to actually go out and hire uh, outside consultants. And the purpose of all that is to ensure that the, the, the consumer, the coffee consumer, is able to purchase a coffee where the farmers are actually following the fair trade principle. Can I have a large latte, please? There's not a lot of people who are asking the question, but hold on, how is this helping the farmer? And so that's where my research has tried to come in and ask that question precisely. So how much pressure are these farmers facing on a day-to-day basis? I've looked at three cooperatives, one in Costa Rica, one in Nicaragua, and one in India. And the most recent work, work I've done is with the cooperative in India. And at that cooperative, I've spent quite a bit of time looking at the cooperative level itself. And the members of the cooperative, the, the hierarchy of the cooperative, the sort of the people who, who run the cooperative, they've all said very clearly that fair trade the way it is right now is quite a cumbersome bookkeeping system. Now, they're not willing to walk away from it because, as I've said, it does provide this uh, fair trade uh, premium which is a significant fund that the cooperative is able to use to develop the cooperative. Maybe instead of spending 70% plus of the money that they generate, maybe they could start looking at ways to reduce that 
and spend some of that to help the corporate. Can you explain the term core exploitation in the context of coffee farming? Well, the core exploitation idea is basically that the farmers and their cooperatives in the notion of sort of being helped by the fair trade system in a way, as I've just discussed, are being exploited uh, because not only do they have to put in all of their labor, but they also have to put in all of this effort to create a system of accountability to us, the Western consumers. So all of that bookkeeping and all of this kind of accountability systems that they have to produce, they're not paid for that, right? They only get paid a fair trade minimum price and for that price, which unfortunately now the evidence is it does not even cover the cost of production. And on top of that, they're, they're having to, rather than use the time that they have to maybe grow some other crops that they could uh, make some money from, they have to invest that time in just keeping the accounting systems and accountability systems for labeling initiatives like fair trade. So to me, that is the exploitation of the cooperative. With this exploitation, is fair trade actually providing sustainable living for the people, for the farmers? Well, for quite a few of the cooperatives, it's not. Now, there are a few cooperatives which are able to, uh, because they are uh, large enough in scale, and this is the example in Nicaragua, where it's like a group of cooperatives that have co formed cooperative unions, and those union of cooperatives have formed unions again, so it's like almost like a huge corporation that the cooperatives had to form. And then all of them share just one uh, fair trade label. So what they've been able to do is uh, share those costs of certification. And they've created sort of a, almost a corporate entity which is able to engage with the fair trade system. And in that unique case, these cooperatives have been able to actually make enough money to make being part of fair trade viable. Now, they're also very, uh, they have a lot of business acumen. So that particular cooperative was able to sell over 90% of its coffee as fair trade. And as I mentioned earlier, that's not the standard. Most cooperatives barely sell 30% of their coffee as fair trade. So you can see, you have to spend all of this money for certification and accountability, and then the fair trade system is only buying 30% of your coffee. So what do you do with the rest of it? It's all certified fair trade but you're not able to sell it as certified fair trade, right? So that's the problem. Who is really benefiting? Is it the consumer only? I mean, there is a premium, but who is really the beneficiary? Well, the consumer is benefiting only psychologically, right? Because we get up in the morning and we think, oh, I'm, I wanna be a good person. And we have been told repeatedly that by buying a fair trade product, we're being an ethical consumer. So it's a feel-good effect for us as consumers, and then we're paying this extra money to buy and consume this product. Now, who is benefiting is financially, it's the companies which carry the label, and of course the fair trade system, right? Because the fair trade system is able to generate all of this money, but it's more than just individuals within the fair trade system because it's the whole fair trade ecosystem because there's people who are sort of public relations people within fair trade. There's all of the money that fair trade spends in advertising. So you could say there's, there's media that's benefiting from it. So again, that brings us into kind of a discussion of the ethical, ethics of the media, because if I'm a newspaper or um, 
you know, a media house that's getting so much money in advertising from fair trade or companies which use the fair trade label which they're advertising, then what incentive do I have to question that? So what would you um, recommend somebody who does care but doesn't know how to make a difference beyond buying the products? There are what we call alternate trade organizations. And even within fair trade, and that's why I want to make it very clear that I'm not saying all fair trade is bad. It's just that within fair trade, there are certain supply chains which are very corporatist. So I think because we have so much information at our disposal through you know the web and social media, consumers need to ask these questions. The only way the system is going to change is if enough consumers are asking the questions and putting pressure on the fair trade system to modify their behavior. Because if consumers make decisions using their pocketbooks and say, hey, you know what, I'm not happy with what Fairtrade is doing and I'm not gonna buy Fairtrade products, for example, uh, guess what? Then Fairtrade will change itself because it's, it's a market-driven organization. Even though it claims to be ethical, at, at the most basic level, it's an organization that has to respond to demand and supply. So when the demand for its product goes down because the consumers expect higher levels of accountability from fair trade, then that's the only way fair trade will change. I'd like to go back to the excess coffee that's being produced. What actually happens to it and how many farmers are engaged with agroecological farming with regards to producing other products? So what happens to the other coffee is that that other coffee ends up uh, actually just staying with the cooperative. And usually the cooperative doesn't, uh, cannot just buy it because if there's no market for it, then that puts the whole cooperative into question, its existence. And sometimes because uh, the other problem with the fair trade system is the time from when the fair trade uh, coffee is sold through the fair trade system, when the payment is received, sometimes it can take six months to nine months. So during this period, what happens to the farmers? So the farmers, end up having to sell a significant portion of their coffee to traders who come to their farms and buy the coffee at the market prices. So the market prices don't necessarily mean it's lower than the fair trade price. So for example, if the coffee price in the market is higher than the fair trade minimum price, then actually farmers will not even want to sell their coffee to fair trade because in the marketplace, they're getting a better price. Right. So that's with regard to what happens to the coffee. With regards to agroecological farming, the farmers have figured out that, you know, depending just on coffee is not going to work. So what they've tried to do is diversify beyond coffee. For example, they grow pepper, which uh, and all of these farmers, because they use agroecological farming practices, also are organic farmers. And organic coffee and organic pepper are uh, commodities which have a higher price. Now, of course, they have to also incur the cost of organic certification, unfortunately. But uh, what they're finding is that by diversifying into different crops, they're not dependent on just one commodity. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, well, all I'm going to say is that I think we need to question more uh, the choices that we make with the food that we eat. And also not just with regard to eco-labeling as well, but also with regards to the types of food that we eat. And of course, there's, there's a whole um, connection that we have to the people who grow the food and, uh, and the things that they make for us. And I think it's important that we're more responsive. Thank you. Thank you very much.